Welcome to Whenever Worship with Washington Farm United Methodist Church. Our daily life can make it hard to connect with God at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Whenever Worship helps you connect whenever you can, wherever life takes you with patterns of prayer, reflection, and conversation that will help you lift your heart up in all of the ways that we live out our lives as people of a living faith in a living God. Today we're talking about unraveled self, and I chose the scripture of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. You know, that would be a really easy reflection to write and to preach, because the story of how the Pharisees' Pharisee came to preach the foolishness of Christ crucified is its a story about change in a serious, mystical, and profound way. But as I sat with this week's scripture, I found myself drawn to Ananias. We don't know much about him, except that the author of Acts tells us that he's a disciple living in Damascus, and God asks him to let go of who he is in order to answer God's call. Now, Ananias has a vision in the story. We don't know where he is exactly, but we might presume that he's asleep in his home in the story. And in this vision, God calls his name. And in English, Ananias replies, Here I am, Lord. He echoes the response of God's servants throughout history. In Hebrew, Abraham and Samuel answer God by saying, Hinini. In Greek, Ananias says, Idu ego. Both of these only loosely, though, mean here I am, and much more closely mean, yo, it's me. Already, Ananias' response tells us something unique about Ananias. He knows how to answer God when God calls. Do you remember when God called Samuel? Samuel didn't realize that it was God calling his name. He, he got up three separate times and ran to Eli, thinking it was Eli calling him because he wanted to know what Eli needed. Only Eli, an old priest, was able to help this young boy discern who was calling him and how he should answer. Ananias didn't need an Eli to tell him what to do or how to respond. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus living in Damascus. He knows who God is, and he believes that God could call him, that God would call him. And so when God calls him by name, Ananias doesn't hesitate. Yo, it's me, Lord, he replies to God. And God tells him that he is to find the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. There's a clever wordplay here that we sometimes lose not being first century Greek-speaking people ourselves. Saul was going to this town to hunt for people who belonged to the way. Now, we understand this to mean those who follow Jesus, but it has another connotation, too. 
In the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible, you'll find references to the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. The way of wisdom is straight, and the way of foolishness, well, it's, it's anything but. On the way to Damascus, Saul is detoured from hunting down those who follow the way of Jesus and ends up blind at a house on a street, or a way, if you will, called straight. Saul's blinding sends him to the straight way, to the way of wisdom, to the way of Jesus. He's literally led there by the hand even. It's a powerful foreshadowing of what is about to happen in the house of Judas, if you catch it. And now I hope that you will. To Ananias, though, Straight Street is just a road in his hometown. In the 5th century BCE, a Greek urban planner with the incredible name Hippodamus of Miletus redesigned the ancient city as a grid, and Straight Street was merely the longest street in the town at a little less than a mile. And now God was telling him to find a man named Saul from Tarsus who was staying at the house of Judas on Straight Street. God calling Ananias wasn't a stumbling block for him. He almost, it seems, expected it. But this request of God's, well, it gives him pause. It makes him uneasy. It worries him more than just a little. You see, Saul, Saul had a reputation. The first time we encounter Saul of Tarsus is at the execution of Stephen. Stephen, who scripture tells us is, is full of grace and power and who did great wonders and signs among the people, Stephen, with the face of an angel, is arrested and the crowd is incited to bear false witness against him. And, and despite a moving testimony by Stephen to the, the power of God and, and the way of Jesus, Stephen is, is essentially lynched by a mob. And as that mob picks up stones, they, they lay their coats at the feet of, of who the author of Acts calls a young man named Saul. Saul isn't an active participant in, in the stoning of Stephen, but, but he is present. And he's present in such a way that those who are actively taking part in this mob rule execution trust that Saul will watch over their, co their coats and not interfere with what they're up to. And of course, they're right. Saul is inspired even by this event, and, and he begins to haul both men and women who follow Jesus off to prison. And his persecution of the church in this form, it, it continues for some time. And now, in our story, Ananias is being asked by God to go and heal this man. The Bible is full of stories of God telling people to go and those people balking at God's instruction. My favorite story of all of them, though, is the story of Jonah. Jonah, the prophet, who, who God tells to go to Nineveh and proclaim that Nineveh would be overthrown in 40 days. Jonah is not happy with this assignment. For one, there is a reason 
that God needs to tell Nineveh that they're going to be overthrown. It's it's not really a great place to be. There's a there's a lot of wicked things happening in the city. And can you imagine being Jonah? having to walk into this wicked city and tell this wicked people that they're going to be overthrown because of their wickedness, that's it's not really a great look for a prophet. I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty great way to end up dead. And Jonah knows this. And that's why he runs in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah's not the only prophet who runs out of fear of almost certain death, though. Elijah makes his way all the way to Mount Horeb after being threatened by the Queen Jezebel. Moses and Gideon argue with God that they won't be good spokespeople for God's message. Jeremiah? (sighs) Jeremiah complains a lot about having to put up with what it means to be a prophet. But we're pretty hard on Jonah. We like to tell his story in in Sunday school as a way of reminding children and, and maybe the parents too, that God doesn't stop calling you just because you ignore God. But I wonder, I wonder if placed in the shoes of, of Jonah or Elijah or Jeremiah, if we wouldn't have had the exact same reaction. You see, when, when God comes calling God almost certainly requires something of us, and and that something isn't an easy little thing. God's call requires us to unravel who we think we are and listen to who God is calling us to be. I will tell you that that my whole foray into this, this thing called ministry, it started with an unraveling of my own self. For years, people had told me that I should go into ministry, and for years, I told them that there was absolutely no way that I could go into ministry, because you see, my husband is in the military. He's already part of an itinerant system that moves us around. There's there's no way I could also be part of an itinerant system that moves us around. But one day, while I was here in Northern Virginia, responding yet again to a friend that there was no way I could ever go into ministry, my husband was in Dallas, being offered a job outside of the military. When he came home from that event, he was so excited to tell me about what had happened. And when he told me, I I wasn't excited at all. In fact, I was... I was beyond angry. You know, he thought this was a really neat opportunity, but but as I heard his words, I I just kept thinking I, that I couldn't believe that he would he would put the life that we had in jeopardy. He would take away our healthcare, our our stable income, and and not least of all, my own identity as a military spouse. You see, I was the president of the Belvoir Enlisted Spouses Club for crying out loud. How could he possibly be so mean as to not consider how this would affect me? I was so mad. And then as I was driving down Telegraph Road, uh, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. This this is what the belly of a whale looks like. I had been using my husband's career as the reason why I couldn't answer God's call in my life. So so God decided to show me that, that God could take that excuse away from me. I'm pretty sure I sobbed. I mean, I know I sobbed. Who I thought I was 
was nothing compared to who God was calling me to be. I had to go to Nineveh. You, you listening here today, you are part of my Nineveh. But, but I had to be unraveled in order to see it. I wonder if you might have your own Nineveh. What have you been running from? Why are you running? Well, the second question is pretty easy to answer, right? We, we run because we're afraid. We're afraid of, of all of the things that answering God's call might require of us. God's call changes us. It, it unravels everything we know about who we are as God knits us back into the person that, that God is calling us to be. And, and the realization of, of that undoing is too much for almost all of us even Moses, even Elijah, even Jonah, and yes, even Ananias. Ananias knows Saul's reputation, and so Ananias pushes back. Lord, he says, Saul's killed people. He's killed a lot of Christians. He might kill me, and I I don't want to do this. And just like God said to Moses, and to Gideon, and to Jeremiah, and to Elijah, and to Jonah, he says to Ananias, nope, you've got to do this thing. God tells Ananias, I've chosen Saul to be a vessel for me. You've got to do this. And so Ananias goes. But in the space between God telling and Ananias going, is a decision. Ananias can say no. He can run away. He can argue more. He can put it off and put it off and put it off, hoping God chooses someone else. But he doesn't do any of those things. Ananias goes. He allows his understanding of himself to be unraveled by God so that God can use him to be a vessel to the one God has chosen to be a vessel of God's name to the Gentiles. He lets his old self with his old fears unravel away as he is knitted knitted anew into the one who will heal Saul of Tarsus. Acts reads that Ananias entered the house and laid his hands on Saul and called him brother. And in the name of of Jesus Christ, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, Saul was healed. I can't imagine how much faith it took for Ananias to call Saul brother. He had to die to himself, to his own fear, and allow himself to live into his baptism that he had been raised with Christ in order to trust that God would make this work out fine. And God did, because Ananias trusted. And because Ananias trusted God, Saul was baptized and became the Paul who would preach Christ crucified to the ends of the earth. Saul's story is the unraveling of self, but so too is the story of Ananias. So too is your story. God's call unravels us so that that God can knit us into a new creation. What is God calling you to do? 
between God's call and our going is a decision that we make to be unraveled. Will you answer like Abraham and Samuel did in Hebrew, Hinini, like Ananias did in Greek, Edu Ego, or like the loose English translation of both the Hebrew and the Greek, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Unravel me. Thanks so much for joining us today on Whenever Worship for this reflection on Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Join us next time as we explore the book of Job and the topic of Unraveled World.